Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We're, we're going to get into the word. Like I said, today is Pentecost Sunday, right? Now, you, you might not be familiar with, with this terminology, but this is one of the three major feasts instituted by God in the book of Leviticus, specifically in chapter 23, God introduces what we know as the seven feasts of the Lord. The seven feasts of the Lord. Now, that that word feast in, in the Hebrew literally means an appointed time, an, an appointed time. And, and you, one of the, the themes that, that you will see um, here as, as you come to church more often, one of the themes that, that you will often find me emphasizing and reiterating is that God is a God of pictures and patterns. He's a God of pictures and 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 patterns, right? And and why does God use pictures and patterns? It's real simple. Is because you take an infinite divine God and try to compress him in a way that a finite mind would be able to comprehend. And it's, it's based off even a simple principle that a picture is worth a thousand words. There are, there are things that can be communicated and comprehended through seeing a, a, a picture. So God uses pictures and patterns. In theology, we call those pictures and patterns types. Can someone turn down the monitors just a little bit, please? A type is a special picture or a symbol of someone or an event. Now, when, when God established these feats, and, and let me just, you know, get this out of the way, I am going to totally nerd out on you today, right? I'm just going to totally nerd out on you. So you're just going to have to to bear with me because when I start getting into the word of God and I begin to see the pictures and patterns and the detail and the preciseness of, of, of what we find in God's word and how that is manifested through the life of, of Jesus Christ, I, I, I just get like giddy. Right, and and so I'm going to totally nerd out on you. And if this is boring to you, go grab a cup of coffee and a donut. Right, um, but but so I'm just going to get that out of the way. Right, so each feast that God established was meant to commemorate, celebrate, but also foreshadow um, a, a future event. It was meant to commemorate. It was meant to celebrate, but also to foreshadow a, a, a future event. And so within the construct and the context of these seven fees, God uh, uh, beautifully foreshadows his complete plan of salvation and redemption. And in fact, each one of these fees correlate to um, the 
Israel's agricultural seasons, right? Remember, we, we talked about a, a, a few series ago about how what happens in the natural happens in the supernatural and how God took this world and all creation and, and we find these four laws that God established in Genesis 8.22 that govern the earth and for each natural law, there is a, a, a parallel spiritual law or kingdom law, right? And so, so even within those things, this, you know, these, these feasts correlate with the agricultural seasons and, and they actually fall into three clusters. We have clusters. We have the spring and we have the summer feast. Now the spring and the summer feast typify the, the beginning, the genesis or the inauguration of redemption. And then we have the fall feast, which typify its consummation. Now, uh, so you're probably saying, well, we have spring and summer feast, but we don't have, and the fall feast, but we don't have uh, any winter feast. Remember when we talked about the kingdom patterns and we talked about how God operates in seasons and we talk about how each season has a different purpose, right? And remember when we talked about winter, what happens in the winter? It's not a trick question. I don't know, Pastor, but I don't remember, but it was really good, right? This funny piece of Pastor, that was a great message. What was it about? I don't know, but it was so good, right? So remember that the, the, the picture and the pattern for winter, on the surface, it seems like God isn't doing anything, right? The, the, the leaves have no, 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 the trees have no leaves, they have no fruit. It seems like everything's hibernating, it seems quiet, desolate, it seems like nothing's growing, but it is actually in the winter season where God is rebuilding and renourishing the soul of, uh, of uh, the soil of your faith for what's going going to come and be planted within the spring. So even in that, we, we see how God utilizes that even in the winter, there are no feasts. So, so we have the first three feasts, which we call Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, right? Now, Passover is the time that we celebrate uh, Easter. It's, it, it, it correlates with what we as, as, as Christians and believers today celebrate Easter, but they have the Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Now, these, these, these three first feasts occur in, in rapid succession in the spring of the year in a period of eight days, right? And, and so because they happen uh, uh, consecutively and, and so quickly, they're often collectively uh, uh, called together the feast of, of Passover. So you have Passover, unleavened bread, and then first fruits. And then you have the fourth feast, which is called harvest, which occurs 50 days later at the beginning of the summer. Now, by the New Testament time, this feast had come to be known by its Greek name, which is Pentecost. In Hebrew, it was Shavuot, but in Greek, it's called Pentecost. The word Pentecost is derived from the, the number 50. So, Pentecost or Shavuot was celebrated 50 days after Passover. So, you would have essentially, you would have Pass, uh, Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits. And then 50 days from Passover, you would celebrate uh, Pentecost, right? 
Pentecost. Now, the last three feasts, which is the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles, those extend over a period of 21 days in the fall of the year, right? In the fall of the year. So remember when we talked about the seasons, we talked about two transitional seasons. Remember, we had, we had winter, spring, summer, fall, and winter. And the shorter seasons are what we call transitional seasons. And which are the two transitional seasons? It's not. I know you know you just don't want to embarrass everybody because you know and they don't. Spring and fall, right? So every time they would celebrate a, a, a feast, it was, it was a, a spiritual time of, of transition, of, of God doing something new and fresh in, in their lives. So the last three feasts, Trumpets, Atonement, and Tabernacles, were in the, a, a period of over 21 days in the fall of the year. I know I'm totally nerding out. Go grab a cup of coffee. I'm just enjoying myself because I love talking about the word of God. So according to the scriptures, the feast of Passover, which is the first feast, took place in the first month of Nisan. So in Exodus, when God is talking to Moses and he establishing the feast of Passover, he says in the first month on the 14th day was the feast of Passover, right? The feast of Passover. Now Passover was, was the, the feast that com, com, commemorated what? Remember, it commemorates, celebrate, and then foreshadows, right? So what was the feast of Passover meant to commemorate? Come on, you, you Bible theologian scholars. When God brought them out of Egypt, remember? Remember the last plague. What happened? That God was going to send the angel of death over Egypt, and they had to take the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost. And when the angel would come, he would pass over that house, bringing salvation to the firstborn son. Those that did not obey that, their firstborn son passed away, right? So that's why it's called Passover. It's, it, it was commemorating that miracle that God used. And ultimately, that's what, what moved Pharaoh's heart to allow the Israelites to go free, right, to, to, to walk out. So Passover was to commemorate that, that event. It was to commemorate that time that God delivered them from Egypt. Egypt is a symbol of the world or sin, right, now into, into freedom. So, but, so the way they would celebrate Passover was every year they would have to take a, a one-year-old lamb and they would have to take it to the temple, but they would take that to the temple a week before Passover. So it was mandated by Jewish law, the law from God to Moses. They would, each family had to go and get a lamb, and a one-year-old lamb, very specific, without spot or blemish. They would take that, and they would take that into the temple, and they would offer it and show it to the priests and say, this is our, our Passover lamb. This is the lamb. And, and the purpose of that lamb is that they would take that to the temple a week later, that lamb would be sacrificed, and because of the shedding of the blood of that lamb, that family's sins from all the past year would be forgiven, right? So that, that's what would happen. And so on the 10th day of the first month was what they would call Lamb Selection Sunday. That was when they were supposed to take that one-year-old lamb 
to the priest. And then on the 14th day was Passover. That's when the lambs were killed. And then on the 15th day of Nisan was what they would call the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a seven-day festivals where, festival where they would eat bread with, with no yeast, right? And, and this was to commemorate them exiting out of out of Egypt or leaving Egypt and this was also the time that they would eat the Passover meal right the Passover meal so it is like I said I'm totally nerding out right so after that on the first Sunday following the Sabbath they would have the feast of first fruits, right? So they would have lamb selection Sunday on the 10th. On the 14th, they would have uh, uh, the Passover lambs are killed. On the 15th, they would eat the Passover. Then the, they would go to the Sabbath. And then the following Sunday after the Sabbath, then they would celebrate the feast of first fruits. Now, now this is where it gets totally exciting to me, right? Because when, when you understand that there is a period of over 3,000 years from where Moses receives the law, the Torah, and Jesus comes to what? He says, I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. So the law and the feast were nothing more than a foreshadow of what was to come, right? So all of you guys know just a few, uh, uh, actually 50 days ago, we celebrated Easter, right? We celebrated Easter Sunday, and and that marked this, this amazing event where Jesus is, is, is arrested, he's tried, he's, he's crucified, but then he, he rises again from the dead, right? He's raised from the dead. Well, do you know on what day? So we remember that Jesus was going to Jerusalem. Now, these three feasts, Passover, Unleavened Bread, and First Fruits, where they ha- Pentecost, they had to be, the, be physically present. So on on. on the, the Lamb Selection Sunday was the day specifically when Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. That was that day. Like, I mean, if, if someone would try to organize and plan 3,000 years later, right? Some of you barely plan next week, right? But God is planning like 3,000 years in the future. And he's saying on this day of this month is going to be Lamb Selection Sunday. And that was the day what we call Palm Sunday. That was the day that Jesus entered into Jerusalem riding on the donkey. And all the ladies and the women began to worship and praise. And they said that they took palms and flags. And they were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, where did Jesus go when he came into Jerusalem? He went directly to the temple. What day was that? That was Lamb Selection Sunday. Then, which Jesus dies on the exact day on the Feast of Passover as the spotless Lamb of God. Then Jesus is buried or planted as the bread of life on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Remember what he says in John? He said, unless a grain of wheat is buried, is, dies and gets buried, it will not bring life again. It will not multiply, right? So Jesus, we, we see like, like all of these feasts are, are, are fulfilled in, in, in Jesus. So on, on the Lamb Selection Sunday, he's the Lamb of God, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. 
he goes into the temple. He presents himself. That's where he cleans out, out the temples. On the 14th day, he was, he was, he, he was killed on, on the Feast of Passover. He was buried as the bread of life on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then Jesus rises from the dead on the Feast of first fruits as the first fruits of the resurrection that is to come. Jesus is the only person that has ever resurrected from the dead. Now, some of you Bible scholars are like, well, what about Lazarus? <laughs> Lazarus wasn't resurrected from the dead. He was resuscitated. Why? Because he eventually died again. And in the Hebrew context of resurrection, when they speak about resurrection, you are to be resurrected from the dead, but never to experience death again. And that is the hope and the promise that you and I as believers, one day we will be resurrected. Those of us who are in Christ will be raised, right? But, but, but we'll be resurrected from the dead to never die again. And Jesus was the first fruits of that resurrection. Now, isn't that amazing? Like, how all, like, what are the odds of, that's why I can't believe that people actually, oh, I don't know if Jesus is the Messiah. I'm like, dude, like, really? It's like, it's right there. If you don't see this, because you don't want to see it, right? And, and so, after that, the next feast is Shavuot, which means weeks in Hebrew, which is the festival of weeks, or in the Greek, Pentecost, which means 50. So, Shavuot, or Pentecost, took place 50 days after Passover, right? So I'm done nerding out. Now we'll get into the, the, the meat of the message. Thank you for, for bearing with me. But it's important that you understand and, and you see how Jesus' life coincides and correlates to what God established. And, and it's going to make a lot more sense when we, when we get into this. So as I mentioned, that Pentecost was one of the three uh, main feasts that the Israelites, by law, were, were to celebrate, but they had to make the pilgrimage into Jerusalem. The first one was Passover, the second was Pentecost, and the third is Tabernacles, right? Tabernacles. So these three main feasts, all of the Jews were expected to sojourn all the way to Jerusalem. So we know that the first four feasts have already been fulfilled, right? The first two by Jesus on the actual feast days, according to the Hebrew calendar, he was sacrificed on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, and then he was resurrected on the feast of first fruits. Then the fourth feast of, the fourth feast of Shavuot, or the festival of weeks, or Pentecost, was again fulfilled on the exact day, and this is the day that we now celebrate and call Pentecost Sunday. So go with me to the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says, after his suffering, suffering, talking about Jesus, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. I, I always crack up at this because this is Jesus after he was crucified, buried. Now he's resurrected, right? And the, and the Bible says that after his suffering, he, he presented to himself and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Like I'm thinking like if the dude, you saw him die, you saw him get buried and now he shows up, how much more proof do you need, right? Like, it, 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 of course, we have Thomas that had him, he had, he had to stick his hand in his side where they pierced him with the spear or his finger in, in the holes of his wrist. But this always cracks me up because I'm thinking like, dude, like, like how, I know some of you like need like 20 signs from God, right? 
or a hundred sides from God, right? You know, and there must have been those groups because he said after he presented himself, the dude was dead, he was buried. Now he's, he's alive and he's here. He's talking, you can touch him, but he had to provide a bunch of convincing proofs that he was alive. He says he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we have Passover where he dies, He's buried on the unleavened bread, and then he rises again on first fruits. Then he spends the next 40 days with his disciples, and then the Bible says that he ascends into heaven, right? He says, I go to prepare a place for you, right? And, and even in there, you know, we, we see the, the, those of you that were with me when we talked about the, the parable of the ten virgins and how that typifies the Hebrew wedding, that even in that, all, all of these things that Jesus fulfills and manifests, right? So the next feast is 50 days later. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit enabled them. So for 40 days, right, 40 days Jesus was talking... And, and teaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And then he ascends to heaven, but he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And he goes, I want you to wait for, for the promise, right? And so exactly 10 days later on the feast of Pentecost, God releases the Holy Spirit. And this is what happens. It says they, they are filled, right? This is an amazing experience here. All of a sudden, this is the promise of Jesus, right? That, that is taking place, right? And we know that, that this was not just the fulfillment of the prophet Joel, right? Because the prophet Joel says that Peter gets up on that day and he's like, hey, I know you think these people are drunk, but it's only nine in the morning. I know some of you are like, but pastor, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? No. And he's like, these people are not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. He said, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied, that in the last day, I would pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. They will have vi visions, and the old men will dream dreams. If you want to know if you're old, if you're dreaming, you're old. If you're having visions, you're young. Thank God I'm still having visions, right? <laughs> so th this is that. So so Peter gets up and and he he begins to bring theology to to their experience. He said, "This is that which was prophesied." But do you know that that was not the only fulfillment of of the prophetic word? This was also a, a, a fulfillment of what the prophet Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 31. Look at what it says in 31 through 34. He says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant though. I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and they will not need to teach their neighbors nor will they 
need to teach the relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So the prophet Jeremiah. So Pentecost, remember, it says commemorates, it celebrates, but it also foreshadows, right? So what, what does Pentecost commemorate? Well, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, we know that was Passover, and then, t- and then 50 days later, after the angel passes over and they're saved by the blood of the lamb on the, on, on the doorpost, 50 days later, they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and he goes up to have this amazing encounter with God. And the Bible says that when he went up there, that there was all kinds of storms on the mountain. There was thundering and lightning and, and rumbling. And it was so crazy that the people, the Israel lights were at the foot of the mountain and, and they were scared. In fact, Mo, Moses goes up and he comes down and he's like, dude, you got to come check this out. But they were so freaked out about what they saw. They're like, no, no, no. It's okay, Moses. You go, you, you go up and then write a Facebook post about it and then we'll just, we'll just, we'll just get it from there, right? They, they were so freaked out. So, so that was the day, those of you who know your, your Bible, that was the day that God gave Moses on Mount Sinai the law. He gave them the covenant where he said, I promise to be your God and you will be my people. So that's what Pentecost commemorates. What does it foreshadow? What we just read in Acts chapter 2 when Peter says, this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied in the last days I will pour out my spirit. But what, what, what is that? Do you, do you see the correlation here that on Mount Sinai 50 days later after the first Passover, God gives a covenant but it was a covenant of the law. Now fast forward to Jesus. After Jesus is sacrificed and rises again on that Passover 50 days later, God gives a new covenant of the Holy Spirit. He replaces the old covenant with the new covenant. So Moses goes up to the mountain. I'm still nerding out. I, know, I told you I wasn't going to do this, but goes up to the mountain. He comes down with the law, but as he's walking down with, with his, his, his cuñado, el cuñiz, Aaron, Aaron, cuñiz is the Greek word for, it's my preaching. Okay, I can say. For brother-in-law. And he comes down and they hear this rumbling down at the bottom. And Moses comes down and he finds that the people have rebelled against God. Because Moses took too long up on the mountain. He, he took too long and, and Moses gets angry. And, and you know the story because I'm sure you saw the movie. He breaks the, not because you read the Bible, because you saw the movie. He throws down the, 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 the tablets, the law of God, the covenant of God, and, and, and it breaks. And the people in the rebellion, they began to, to, to go back to the very thing that God brought out of and delivered them from. And there they were with this golden calf. The same golden calf that they saw their God defeat in Egypt. And there they were. And that day, Moses gets angry. And the Bible says that he draws a line in the sand, a line in the ground. In fact, those of you that say that, a line in the sand, that's where it gets from. You're actually being biblical and you didn't even know. And he says, choose you this day whom 
you will serve. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he draws a line in the sand. And they had to choose who were they going to serve. Do you know on that day, everyone except for 3,000, they said, nah, we, we cool. We, we got our little golden calf. We're good. And the Bible says that the ground opened up and swallowed them up. 3,000 people lost their lives at the beginning of the old covenant. Now let's fast forward to Acts chapter 4, right? Chapter 2. You can tell I'm from the cassette generation. You're like, all these are like, fast forward, Pastor. You just hit skip. You just hit that button, right? Those of you who laugh, no, you're old like me. You're having dreams. You ain't having visions, right? So Acts chapter 2, Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit falls. Peter gets up and preaches. And the Bible says, how many were added to the church? I knew, I thought for sure you would know this one. How many? 3,000. 3,000 were lost with the old covenant, but now 3,000 are redeemed and saved. That tells me something that when you have the spirit of God, all those things that the enemy tried to use to destroy you, to defeat you, that there's nothing that God cannot redeem and restore in your life. He said, I, he, he was letting the devil know, you're not going to win. You, 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 you're, you're not going to, you can't beat me. Even though I lost 3,000, but now under the new covenant, 3,000 were lost. But now in the new covenant, 3,000 were saved. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I just totally nerd out on this stuff. Because only God can be so precise. So the same day that the Jews were celebrating God's giving of his Torah on tablets of stone, the Holy Spirit came and wrote his Torah on people's hearts. That's what Jeremiah says. In this new covenant, there's going to come a time where I'm no longer going to be among you. I am going to be in you. So the Feast of Pentecost was fulfilled that day when the Holy Spirit descended to fill the lives of men and women. And, and, and so what is the purpose of Pentecost? Well, I'm glad you asked. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive what? Power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria unto the ends of the earth. So Pentecost Sunday is the day that we celebrate the coming and the, the descending of God's spirit to fill the lives of men and women. But it is also the day that we celebrate the, the, the birth of, uh, of the church. It is that day when the church of Jesus Christ, which is not an organization, but an organism, it is a a living, breathing, redeeming body of Jesus Christ here on the earth. So Pentecost Sunday is the day that we celebrate that day, that promise that Jesus made good on, that he made to his disciples, that he would never leave them with more than just principles, but that he would also give them power. He did not only give them principles, but he also gave them power. See, and so we see here in Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus was going to leave, 
right? He was going to ascend for 40 days. He tells the disciples, do not leave. Acts 1, verse 4 through 5 says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Imagine this for a moment. He's essentially telling his disciples, don't do anything until, right? Don't, don't, don't do anything, anything until, until what? Until they receive the, the gift of the promise, right? See, think about this. They've been with Jesus for three and a half years. You would think by now they would have had everything that they needed to, to do their work and to do what God was called to do. But even then he says, do not leave. He says, don't do anything. Don't teach, don't preach, don't heal the sick until you get what? Until you get the gift of my father. You, you would think that if they had been mentored and discipled by Jesus for three years, that they would have had all and everything they needed to accomplish his purpose for their life. But Jesus knew that if they were going to accomplish his plans and his purposes that they would need more than just principles that they would need power jesus knew that they would need more than information they would need demonstration see it was never god's expectation for his people to carry out his principles or his purpose without his power. See, without God's power, his principles, his principles and purposes would be impossible. Uh, imagine for a moment, the Bible says to love your enemies. Like, who does that? Forgive those who hurt and offend you. The Bible actually tells you to go and ask forgiveness from those that offended you. Like, oh no, pastor, that's where I draw the line. You unfollow me, I'm gonna unfollow you. You unfriend me on Facebook, I'm going to unfriend you, uh-uh, block for block. But the kingdom of God says to even go ask for forgiveness for those who offended you, those who abused you, those who exploited you, those, those who hurt you. Be like, but God, it's their fault. They did this to me. That's why you need the spirit. He said, bless those who curse you. See, we can't live his principles without his power. See, Jesus knows that we can't do it without God's power. That's why he says, you need my spirit. Why? Because he says, I, I want to give you more than just hope. I want to give you help. It's not enough for me to give you hope. I, I, I want to give you help. And that's why he says in John chapter 14, 16 through 7, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now, and later he will be in you. He says, he's amongst you right now. And I can just imagine, I don't know about you, but like when, when I buy Pastor Sandra a gift, I don't like to wait. I get more excited than she does. I, I, I get so excited because I'm going to give her this amazing gift, the plancha she's always wanted. So I'm like, the, 
or the a blender, right? Uh, a, a pan, like, man, I'm, I know, I'm just so excited, you know, that she's going to get this amazing gift. And, and I imagine Jesus is telling his disciples, he's like, you know, I, 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 I'm asking the Father, I'm going to give you this great gift, right? He, you, you know him because you, you've seen him around you right now, but later on, this gift is going to be in you. This gift is going to be in you. And, and I imagine Jesus like, dude, I got to go because if I don't go, then he can't come. So in order for him to come, I've got to go. And he's like, man, I really got to go because once you get this gift in you, it's going to be amazing. So it was always God's intention when he created earth and he created man. He never wanted to have a religious liturgical relationship with you. He wanted a personal and intimate relationship with man. He never wanted us to know him through the context of, of rites and rituals. He wanted us to know him personally. But then sin comes in the picture and that separates us from God. But it was always God's desire to be with his people. So what happens? The Israelites come out of Egypt. They're in the desert. And God's like, dude, I can't wait. I got to be with them. But I can't be with them because if I'm with them and in them, then I'll kill them. And I don't want to kill them. I just want to be with them. So he says, you know what, Moses? I want you to do me a favor. I've got this idea. I want you to build this Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is going to house my presence so that I can be amongst the people. So he said, I want you to go and I want you to build this, this box, this Ark, out of acacia wood, right? You're going to find an acacia tree and you're going to build it and then you're going to overlay it in pure gold and once you build it out of acacia wood and then you overlay it in pure gold then I'm going to come and fill it and I get to be with my people so he does that they build that and, and I remember as a young man hearing that story and I thought man I bet you that acacia tree it's got to be one of those most beautiful trees in the world because God chose it to house his presence. I was like, man. Well, back in the day, we didn't have Google, so I couldn't have Googled it. But I remember when we went to Israel, to the Holy Land, I asked the guide, I said, wait, will you show me an acacia tree? I, man, because in my mind, I just picture this mo most beautiful, majestic, beautiful tree that I had ever seen because that tree was chosen to house God's presence. And, and so we were there, and I said, I want to see. And I remember the day we were leaving Jerusalem, going to, to the, the Dead Sea, and we were going through the desert. And all of a sudden, I was sitting in the back, because that's where all the cool kids sat. And, and the guy says, where's that very handsome, intelligent young man? It's my story. I can tell it, and that's how exactly I remember he said that wants to see an acacia tree. So I ran up from the back of the back of the bus and he says, Look across that desert field. There's a bunch of acacia trees. And I looked expecting to see this most amazing, beautiful tree. And to my surprise, it was the ugliest, naughtiest, not naughty like bad, but like knots in the wood. All twisted tree that I had ever seen. I remember being 
like so let down and disappointed. Like, God, of all the beautiful trees, why would you pick that tree to house your presence? I mean, you could have this big redwood, the sequoias, these oak trees, like beautiful trees. And there it was, it was like, I got to be careful because some of you are already Snapchatting that. I'm be like, they're on TikTok, right? <laughs> Ugly. And I went to the back of the, the bus, all disappointed. I said, God, why would you choose that tree? And the Holy Spirit says, because I always use what's available to me. But when you took that tree and you put it into the carpenter's hands, I don't know if you've seen, but if you go to, to Marshall's, you'll find platters and plates that are made out of acacia wood, and they're beautiful. But you would have never known by judging it from the outside. And I've learned something, that you and I, we are the acacia tree. On the outside, we don't look like much. On the outside, we might look ugly, dry, and twisted. But when we put our lives in the carpenter hands, he makes something beautiful. And then God tells Moses, after you make this beautiful box out of acacia tree, I want you to overlay it in pure gold. And the pure gold represents the blood of Jesus. See, it wasn't until the blood of Jesus came that would, that would purify us from all of our sin and evil and wickedness that now we are able to have the spirit of God. That's why he says, I, I, I've got to go. I'm going to have to die and I'm going to have to, you know, get resurrected and go to heaven. But this same spirit one day is going to be living in you. It can't live in you because if it lives in you now, it will eventually kill you. See, and, and all Jesus was doing was restoring where we started. That's all he was doing because if you go back to the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve, they were created, they were created to be immortal. They did not have, they did not have, they did not breathe air. What brought them life? It says it in the creation narrative that God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and the mud and, and everything and then he breathed. What did he breathe into Adam? He didn't breathe oxygen. He breathed his spirit. So what caused Adam and Eve to be immortal was that they had the very spirit of God within them but then sin came the spirit came out and then air came and all that Jesus was doing is restoring us back to that place where we no longer had to be surrounded by the spirit but now we could have the spirit in us dude I'm like totally nerding out right now because even in the ark of the covenant we, are, we, we, we see that, that God leaves no detail, no stone unturned. And, and so he says, I'm going to send you the advocate. The advocate is the Holy Spirit. He lives with you now, but later he will be in you. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's, I am responsible for you to get to heaven, but the Holy Spirit is responsible for you to experience heaven on earth. See, we've got it all wrong in the church. It was never about getting people to invade heaven. That's not what the message of the Bible is about. It's about bringing heaven 
heaven to earth. We've got it all wrong. And the, the enemy has been able to neutralize us, cause us to have this escapist mentality about going to heaven. And it was never about getting us to go to heaven. In fact, Jesus spent the most of his ministry teaching us how to live in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. And what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit comes and, and he empowers you and, and he gives you the ability to bring heaven down to you. That's why in John 14, 12, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. But why? Because I'm going to go to him and I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus tell them that they will be able to do what he does and even greater but later in chapter 16 and 17, he tells them why. Why? Because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be in you. See, what he was telling is this. You can't do what I do until you have what I have. And what I have, I want to give to you. So Jesus is filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're going to go through these, these things real quick. Number one, Jesus was born of the Spirit. Luke chapter 1 tells us that Jesus was conceived in Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? So, so what, is, what is the picture and the pattern? What is the message of that, that with the Spirit of God? See, it would have been impossible. In fact, when Mary, Mary told Joseph, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but I've never known another man. He's like, yeah, right. Like, even the, even the neighbors didn't believe it. It was impossible. How, how, can, how can you conceive without knowing another man? But see, that's the power of this message, that when you have the Spirit of God and you're born of the Spirit, the Spirit is able for you to birth and produce things that to others seem impossible. Number two, Jesus was baptized in the Spirit. Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. On one, one day the crowds were being baptized. Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly beloved son and you bring me great joy. See, it was at this moment that Jesus' identity was affirmed when the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He said, this is my son. See, it is the Holy Spirit in in us that affirms and confirms who you and I are. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us identity. Why does the enemy attack our identity? Because in the kingdom of God, our identity is tied to our authority. What you've got to realize that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit and you begin to call those things that aren't as though they are, the Bible says that you can speak to the mountain and the mountain can be removed. The Bible says that you, you have the ability to speak life. What happens see, when you speak and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, the devil does not hear your voice. He hears the very voice of God that is overlaid and laced in your voice. And he says, oh, oh, I gotta leave. I've gotta flee. Why? Because you have authority. Because you have the God, the king of all kings, the God of the universe. He is inside of you. So when you release the word, the enemy doesn't hear your voice. He hears the voice of God. He was born of the Spirit, baptized in the Spirit, and he was led by the Spirit. Luke 4, 1, then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Full of what? Don't, I know you're like full of, no, full of the Holy Spirit. Returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit. He was full of, so he was led by it. See, you've got to realize this principle. You will always be led by whatever you're full of. You will always be led by 
whatever you're full of. Whatever you are full of will eventually lead you. You're full of negativity, anxiety, resentment, fear, bitterness, depression. All of those things are going to lead you. That's why you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you will be led by the Spirit and not by all those other things. Number four, Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the press will be set free. Jesus was anointed by the Spirit. See, it is the anointing that makes the difference. The anointing is the distinguisher. It is the difference maker. See, our gifts might make us impressive, but it is the anointing that will make us impactful. All my years of, of growing up, I've heard some of the best vocalists and some of the best musicians stand on some of the biggest platforms and they impress you with their gift, but there is no anointing. There, there is no power to it. But then again, I've heard some of those that don't sing all that great and don't play all that great, but because they have the anointing of God, the Bible says that the broken are healed, that, that they makes rivers in the desert. When you have the anointing of God, it makes all the difference. That's when you go from being little Mario to Super Mario and you go from being little Luigi to Super Luigi. Those of you who are my 90s gamers, you know what I'm talking about. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does. That's why you gotta get filled with the Holy Spirit. See, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, those things that the enemy sent to destroy you, they just bounce right off of you. Or better yet, they just slide right off of you. Because you're filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit. <sighs> Jesus was then resurrected by the Spirit. Romans 8:11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. What is the message here? is that when you're filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit allows you to recover from what other died in. What the enemy used to destroy others, the Holy Spirit allows you to overcome. That's why when you see people and they're like, what's wrong with you? You're all worried. Didn't you just go through a divorce? Yeah. But aren't you all down and depressed? Yeah, it hurts. Yeah, I'm feeling it. But I've got the Holy Spirit of God and this divorce is not going to defeat me. I'm going to defeat this divorce. Wait a minute. Didn't you just lose a son or a daughter? Didn't you just have a miscarriage? And all of a sudden you're here on Sunday worshiping and praising? Yes. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit of God and the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead gives me power and authority and the very things that might defeat and destroy others. God, Holy Spirit of God allows me to overcome. That's why you've got to get filled with the Spirit. So if Jesus was born of the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, and resurrected by the Spirit, then how much more do we need the Spirit? 
See, Jesus is, is our model, our, our model. Jesus is, is, is our pattern, right? He was, the Bible says that he was fully God and fully man, right? He, 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 he was our pattern, our model. He, he demonstrated the authority and the power that you and I, ha- as children of the king, should have here on the earth. Do you realize that every miracle that he did, from walking on the water, from multiplying the fish and the loaves, from raising Lazarus from the dead, he did not do that as as God. He did that as man filled with the spirit of God. So he is our pattern. He's showing if you get what I get, if you have what I have, then all of these things that you saw me do, I just did them so that I could be your model. I could show you, you have the ability to do whatever I do. So the purpose of Pentecost was the promise of power. See, without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we have what Paul describes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. He says, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. He says, stay away from people like that. This is Paul telling Timothy, he's like, don't, don't be around just religious folk. They, they just act. They, they're, they're a bunch of fig trees that have big, beautiful leaves, but they lack, no, they, they lack fruit. They're, they're not producing. They, they have the appearance of, of piety and devotion, but they, they, they look all holy, but they don't have the power. See, the purpose of the baptism is to give you power. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never supposed to be thought of as, as a, sectarian, a sectarian expression of worship. In fact, we have people and pastors and teachers and denominations today that said that the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, the old covenant was for everybody and the Holy Spirit on Pentecost is the new covenant 3,000 died and 3,000 were redeemed. How could you tell me that the new covenant is not for me? I know someone like, man, pastor, nobody's ever taught us this. And they sit there and say, well, it's not for everybody. It's just for those crazy Christians, those crazy folk that have to get all the emotional. But we see that The baptism of the Holy Spirit was a gift, but it was not just the gift of the promise. It was the gift of the covenant. It's where he redeemed us from the written law, and now the law is is written in our hearts. He's saying, it's in you. The Spirit of God is in you. And and, and some of them say, but but Jesus, in in John 22, it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, right? But that's what we call regeneration. See, when you are saved and you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord and to be your Savior, you get the Spirit of God. We call that the indwelling in theological terms. It, it, he comes to abide in you, right? And, and that is what we call regeneration. So when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And, and this situation happened prior to Pentecost, right? And, and they'll say, but, but look, it says that they received the Holy Spirit, but that was regeneration. But this was prior to Pentecost. See, they had the indwelling, but on Pentecost, they went from the indwelling to the infilling, right? So indwelling, 
mean it's level one. It's stage one Christianity. It's, it, it's having regeneration, but not having the power. See, God not only wants you to have religion. He not only wants you to have the principles. He wants you to have the power. So, so why, 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 why do they say this isn't for everybody? Because when you look at it, if, if this is a fulfillment of the new covenant, this is Jeremiah prophesying, I'm going to give you a new covenant. It's no longer going to be written on tablets. It's going to be written on your heart. This thing is for everybody. It's for all of us. So if he told there in John 22, he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathes on them and said the Holy Spirit dwelled in them. But then later on, what does he say? Don't leave until you get the gift. So right then that tells me that these are two different experiences. Because if they already have it, why would he say don't leave until you got it? Right? But the devil doesn't want you to get this. He wants you to be all weird about this because he wants to keep you impotent. He wants you to lack the power. But, but see, you got to realize that the infilling of the spirit is not about how much of the spirit you have, but how much of the spirit has you. That is where your life is transformed. See, when I'm born again, he indwells in me. But as I submit and surrender my life to him, he begins to consume me. And now I begin to experience his power like never before. So much so that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see a pattern that the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, correlates with being intoxicated? What happened on the day of Pentecost? Peter said, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And yes, yeah, somebody said it's five o'clock somewhere. And now Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. He's saying, he's saying, don't be drunk with wine, but be drunk with the Spirit. Be, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of you holy, sanctified saints, you guys, I have virgin lip pastor. Nothing alcoholic has ever passed, right? Right, never passed these lips. And then, and, then, and then some of you are like, pastor, but that's in my past. And some of you are like, are still like in that, woo, right? You're like, Ey. you can't relate. But he says, he uses intoxication as a metaphor for being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I haven't been to a lot of parties, clubs, or bars. If you ever see my car at Cooters, it's because I was picking up pizza and wings. I've never parked at Cooters. I park around the corner. Para que no vayan con el chisme. But I've seen enough drunk people that they never look stoic and sophisticated. You never see somebody there like, man, they look drunk, dude. Like the party must have been good, right? No. You see, say, hey, what's going on, dude? Like, oh, right? And you're like, oh, you, you had too much, right? So in some way, we see this parallel. And that's why I say, like, 
if the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we, we get filled with the Holy Spirit and he's saying, don't, don't, don't confuse with somebody for being intoxicated. That's why when people say, well, God doesn't need all that wato. God doesn't need all of that, all of that emotionalism, all of that expression. God doesn't need that. But we see that from the very beginning, God is a God of first, the first intention to establish the, the pattern. And it says that when they received the Holy Spirit, that people thought they were drunk. And then Paul says again, do not be drunk with wine, but be be filled with the Holy Spirit. He uses intoxication as a metaphor. See, when a person is under the influence of alcohol, they lose all inhibitions. They begin to speak the truth. They begin to be boldness. They're not worried about being popular. They're not worried about being liked. They just speak whatever has to be done. They just say what they have to say. See, the same way that wine influences somebody when they are intoxicated is the same way that the Holy Holy Spirit influences their life. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you get to the point where you say, I don't care what you say about me. You can call me weird. You can call me crazy. You can call me a hallelujah or a holy roller, but I don't care because I have the Spirit of God in me. I don't, that drunk person at the bar, they don't care about what, they, what you say about them. The more drunk you say, the, the more proud that they are. And I'm the same way. You say, Pastor, you guys are all crazy prophesying, speaking in tongues and, and shaking and dancing and all of this other stuff. But the Bible says, that there is a manifestation and a demonstration when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So we've got to be filled. Tell your neighbor, be filled. So how do I get filled? Number one, you must invite and embrace him. The Holy Spirit is, isn't a thing. He's a person. He is the third member of the Holy Trinity. He is, he is a, a person. He is the Spirit of God. And nobody likes to be in a place where they're not. Have you ever been to a place where you're not invited? And everybody looks at you like, who, who let the choose my in, right? And you're like, oh, I shouldn't have been here. And your friend's like, nah, it's all right. And everybody's looking at you like, the Holy Spirit's the same way. If you're all weird about him coming over, he ain't going to come over. And some of you are so weirded out by all of these things that we see in Scripture. And the Holy Spirit just says, invite me. Let me come in and I'll empower you. I'll transform you. I'll do great things. I'll, 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 I'll give you boldness. I'll, I'll flood out the fear. I, I'll do all of these things. So you've got to embrace him. The second thing is you must love your Bible more than your tradition. And, and, and I know some of this, this talk that we, we, we talk here about prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and, and all this. This might be unsettling to some of you because it contradicts things that you've been taught by people you love. But don't miss out on the full expression of the relationship with God because you're more focused on, on, on church tradition rather than biblical doctrine. If you're going to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you've got to love your Bible. Says, you know what? If it was good enough for Peter, if it was good enough for John, if it was good enough for Paul, if it was good enough for Timothy, it's got to be good enough for me. Holy Spirit, come and fill and flood my life. But don't get caught up 
in the expression or the manifestation of the infilling. See, that's where people get all weirded out. Because they're thinking like, how is it going to feel or what am I going to look like? Don't, don't get caught up there. In, 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 in those thoughts, the enemy is going to put those thoughts that you're going to look like a fool. You're going to look crazy. You're going to look like Pastor Brian. And the enemy wants to keep you from being filled because he knows that when you get filled, the Spirit of God comes into your life. I learned something in science class. Remember I said that the natural laws parallel spiritual laws, right? So you should have paid attention in science. But there is a, a scientific law called the law of mass. In Spanish, it's la ley del superimposición de los cuerpos. I said that for the benefit of our translator. But the law of mass tells us that two bodies cannot occupy the same space. Right? That's what the law of mass tells us. Like right here, this space around me looks empty. But how many know that this space around me is not empty? What's it filled with? With what? It's not a trick question. Yes, air. Thank you, teachers. The minute I move over, what happens? That which was there can no longer occupy the same space, right? What was there has to move, right? So that's what the law of mass teaches us, that two bodies cannot occupy the same space, right? And whatever happens in the natural also happens in the spiritual, So the moment that you open up your heart and your life and you say, Holy Spirit of God, I want you to flood me. I want you to fill me. That means all of those other spiritual things, the ugly things that you deal with. See, two spiritual beings cannot occupy the same place. So the minute that the Spirit of God comes in and He comes into your life, all of the ugly things have to leave. Fear has to leave. Anxiety has to leave. Depression has to leave. All has to leave. All those things that you're dealing with has to leave because it can't occupy but the devil knows that that's why he wants you to be all weirded out by this thing because he knows the moment that the spirit of God fills and floods your life you're going to be absolutely free and you're going to be empowered to do above and amazing all that you could ever think ask or imagine it's the spirit of God but you must decide What is more important? Looking dignified, sophisticated, in control, or being filled with the Spirit of God. I'm not going to lie. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, sometimes He's going to ask you to do crazy things. That don't make sense. He's going to ask you, sometimes to do things that are outside of the ordinary but it's always to give him glory and to fulfill his purpose a few weeks ago pastor sandra shared a testimony 
about this service that was going on in Argentina. This was in the late 90s, early 2000s when revival broke in the country of Argentina. They went from having church in churches to having churches in stadiums. It was amazing. Thousands and thousands of people were getting saved, but they were also getting filled. And one of those days, in one of these big, big crusades and camp meeting type services, this man that was about at the point of committing suicide stumbles into a service and he sits in the back. And at the church, they had all of the distinguished guests and pastors and leaders. They were all sitting on the platform in, in, in suits. Thank God we don't wear suits at Access Church. If you wear a suit, we kick you out. No, we don't. We still love you. We'll pray for you that God delivers you from all religiosity. But That man that was at the point of committing suicide looks on the stage He said, God, if you're real, one of those men in a suit is going to come down and do cartwheels. So you have this, picture this, and there's thousands of people in the service. The, 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 The pastor's preaching, and one of the leaders, another pastor's is sitting there, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, get up and do cartwheels. Now, most of you are like, oh, I ain't crazy. (laughs) But this man was so filled and so in tune that in the middle of that service, he gets down and he started doing cartwheels. When that happened, that man in the back that was about to commit suicide, God loved him so much that he had a man that was sitting on a platform all sophisticated and dignified in a, in a three-piece suit get up and do car wheels. And that man that day gave his life to the Lord. And guess what? He ended up becoming a pastor. So I'm going to warn you. Sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit of God, He might lead you to do crazy things. I remember one time when we were traveling through Mexico, we got to a checkpoint with the federal police. And and I'm a typical man, like I want to get there as fast as I can. You know, I don't want to stop. You know the story. I'll say, Pastor Sandra, get down. I'm going to put gas, but you better be in by the time I'm done or I'm going to leave you. Right? Because that's how men are, right? It's all getting there fast, right? And women are, let's enjoy the journey. Let's stop. And No, I want to get there. So we get stopped. This federal police officer opens up our trunk. He looks at everything. He starts asking, you know, you know what we're doing in Mexico. And I said, oh, we're missionaries. We're, we were actually heading back to the States to renew our, our permisos, our permits. So we get in. And the Holy Spirit says, I want you to go prophesy to that federal police officer. I'm like, He's probably going to shoot me. Like, these people are, like, on edge. And I'm like, nah, send another crazy guy. That'll do it. I've got to go. Like, I'm going to beat my time from last trip, right? Because that's how we think, men, right? We're going to beat our time. And it wasn't. All of a sudden, I just put the car in park. I get down, and I walk up to them. I said, this might sound really crazy. But then I just went boom, boom, boom. He takes off his hat, and he begins to cry. 
and he says, gracias hermano. I was like, oh good, he's one of us. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> he said, thanks brother. I was like, oh good, he's one of us. Sometimes, when you're filled with the Spirit of God, God might have you do crazy things. But it's always to give Him honor and glory. So I challenge you today, open your heart and let the Holy Spirit of God fill you. In Jesus' name, will you stand? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this word. God, I pray today that you would fill our hearts, that you would flood our lives with your Holy Spirit. God, if there's ever been somebody teetering on the fence of whether or not to move forward or go forward, God, I pray today that through the unction and the anointing of your Spirit, not my words, but the power that my words are carrying, God, would challenge and convict each heart to be able to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand, Kevin? Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.